What questions are you asking? I've just finished reading again the story of Gideon and the fleece. In Judges chapter 6, we learn that the Israelites were doing evil in God's sight, and because of their idolatry and disobedience, God had handed his people over to the cruel Midianites, who pursued them relentlessly and stole all of their crops and livestock. In fact, we read that the Midianites were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. Their devastation reduced the Israelites to starvation, forcing them to cry out to God for help. As he so often get, did, God arranged for a warrior to free them from their oppression. But when he approached Gideon with the announcement, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. This warrior responded with a challenging, doubt-filled array of questions. Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? In fact, God had already explained why this destruction has happened. I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you not to worship other gods, but you didn't listen. Has that ever happened to you? That you ask God a question and you find that if you really think about it, he's already answered the question even before you asked it. You just chose to ignore his answer. That would seem to be the case with Gideon. And in the past passage I've outlined, it seems God doesn't rehearse his answer, but rather repeats his instruction. God will give you the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. Again, Gideon responds with more questions. How can I rescue Israel? My clan's the weakest and I'm the least in the entire family. Gideon rehearses his inadequacies. Just as Moses tried to wiggle his way out of God's liberation mandate, even so does Gideon. And God speaks the same promise. I will be with you. I will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man, he says. You will win because you have the God of the universe on your side. Is Gideon relieved? Grateful? Energized? No, the doubts continue to assail him. If you are going to help me, if you are truly going to use me, he asks. The questions wasn't, how are we going to do this, Lord? It wasn't a question of strategy, but a question of God's character. Gideon was really asking, are you trustworthy, Lord? Will you fulfill your promises? These are the same questions he seems to be asking with the requests for a sign. Make the fleece wet and the ground dry. Make the fleece dry and the ground wet. These arbitrary signs really point to Gideon's uncertainty of who God is and what he's going to do. Over the years, many people have asked for a sign from God. Show me if I'm to take this job, move to this city, marry this person. And I've heard the oddest things of what people presume are signs from God. A green light in an intersection, a friend calling, news announcements about a particular city. None of those chance events connect to God or the decision in question. So what does the story of Gideon actually teach us? 
And what kind of questions should we be really asking? One commentator suggests that the story of Gideon should be our instruction and not serve as a model for our own behavior. And this commentator connects us to Jesus' instructions to the religious leaders who asked for a miraculous sign to prove his authority. Only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign, Jesus says, and then foretells of the sign of Jonah and his three days and nights in the belly of a great fish and three days and nights Jesus will spend in the heart of the earth. Jesus tries to make them understand that the Son of Man is here and is by his death and resurrection. Deliverance will come if they'd only repent and return to him and away from their sins. But, Jesus says, they refuse to listen. Jesus also refers to the Queen of Sheba's diligence and dedication as the representation of appropriate behavior, for she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. She was hungry and thirsty for truth, and she sought it with all of her heart. And she was satisfied, for when she met with Solomon, she talked with him about everything she had in her mind, and Solomon answered all of her questions. Nothing was too hard for him to explain to her. And Jesus concluded, now someone greater than Solomon is here. Basically, Jesus was saying, seek me. Talk to me about everything that's on your mind. Ask me any hard questions you may have, and I will answer you. For the Lord says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me, and I will be found by you. As the Lord has shown time and again, he's not trying to keep secrets from us. He's not trying to make it difficult for us to know and understand his will. He wants us to know him and his ways. And thus, that should be the question on our lips. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. For you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. But we also have to be prepared to have him test us with hard questions as well. We see this in Jesus' conversations with the religious leaders. And they worked so hard to try to stump him with challenging questions and couldn't. And then he would turn the tables and ask them questions which left them speechless. Are we prepared to be tested by God? Are we ready to answer his questions? That's a test we have to be prepared for. But we also have to be prepared that God's answers may not be what we want to hear. That happened to the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus with the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. And Jesus' answer initially satisfied him, obey the commandments. Well, and the man says, I've obeyed all these commandments since childhood. And Jesus was pleased with this answer, but he knew of the young man's faithfulness and love for him, but he wanted him to go deeper. Go and sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor and you will have treasure in, he in heaven. Then come and follow me. Ouch, <laughs> this was too much. He could love God and respect others, but surrender everything to God? Anything but that. And the young man went away dejected. He wasn't ready for what God was asking of him. He wasn't ready to give up everything to serve him. 
Perhaps before we come to Jesus with our hard questions, we need to be assured that we come with a surrendered heart, truly ready to do his will. It's also possible that God has already answered our question. Remember with Gideon, as I've already said, that when God approached him, his first question was, why has this all happened to us? And God had already answered that question when the people of Israel cried out to God, you're in this predicament because you wouldn't listen to me. It was their disobedience and idolatry that led to their harassment and captivity. They couldn't blame God for their hardship. They brought it on themselves. What has God already shown you about himself, about his expectations for you, his desires for your actions and behaviors, his direction? It's very possible that he's already made that clear. Like the person who's struggling financially but refuses to tithe and by doing so have cheated God. Or the person who's struggling with an unhappy marriage to an unbeliever when the Lord already warned them years earlier not to be unequally yoked. Or the person who's struggling to have their prayers answered but hasn't considered the possibility that they're asking for the wrong things. In Jeremiah 6, the Lord states, Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. What is the word that the Lord has given you through scripture and prayer? What are the healing and miracles he's already provided you so that you can trust and believe he's an awesome God? As Christians, we have the complete and absolute word of God that is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In addition to the God-breathed word, we also have the God-breathed spirit within us. As believers, we've been given the Holy Spirit, God himself, gifted to us and living inside of us to counsel and guide and encourage and exhort us in the ways of God. We no longer have an excuse to question, did God really say, as Eve entertained from the lips of the deceiver? We have the comprehensive and faithful promises of his word and his spirit to assure us of his intentions for us. But we need to take the promises meant for us and not claim those meant for someone else. When we do that, we find disappointment when our prayers aren't answered or our questions are unresolved. For instance, one commentator indicated that in struggling with their childlessness, they wanted to claim the promise for Abraham and Sarah and the birth of Isaac. But she came to realize that the gift of children would not be placed in her womb, but rather in her home through adoption. She had to learn how to discern and apply the word of God accurately for her circumstance. In the same way, we can't take the signs given to Gideon to be our method of confirming his will. Just as we can't take Joshua's instruction to march around Jericho to be indicative of how we'll see the walls tumble down in our own lives. But we do have to avoid testing God by laying out fleeces which challenge his instructions or impugn his character. He's already proven himself to us in countless ways and shown his extraordinary love for us through his son. 
Thus, we need to ask him the right questions. Listen carefully to his answers and be willing to follow his directions. For the Lord has told us what's good, what he requires of us to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. God bless you all. God bless you.